All right, we're back. Uh, Matt Fisk, Aaron Jackson, Will, and Tasha Archer uh, talking about building community. We're going to talk now about the nuts and bolts of how do you start building a community, which we're fascinated to talk about that. Sure. So I think first off, we talked about the importance of a clear foundation where you have a commitment to community, a commitment that we're going to really be do life together. I think the other the the next step is making sure that you carve out the time. Mm. So um, you know, we we made a decision that we would um, talk through, pray about, and decide on how we would structure kind of our uh, our, our times as a community. So once a month on the first Friday we have fun. So every family group has fun. Um, for the two. Um, Fridays that follow, we have a Bible discussion, so there's a time for us to really engage in the in the Bible. And then the fourth Friday, we have a D group. Um, so first, the structure, making sure there's scheduled time. Also, making sure that it's clearly defined who's in the group mm. and who's not in the group. Um, our family group, for instance, we use WhatsApp. That's kind of the tool that we use in our family group. And um, those folks that are uh, disciples are on our WhatsApp group, and anyone that wants to join our family group is welcome onto our WhatsApp group. And whenever a new family joins, um, you know, we take their picture, every, they get introduced, and we use that tool as a source of constant contact throughout the week. And it's so actually very helpful because, right. so for instance, let's see, we meet you at church on Sunday, and we invite you to come to family group. Family group is our Big thing. <laughs> so we, we invite you to come to family group and then we're like, hey, can I get, you know, can I take a picture of you so I can in, so I can actually introduce you to the group virtually. Mm. <laughs> so take a picture of you, introduce you to the group um, and then and then literally introduce them to the group with their picture so that when. So, hey, my whole family has it. Whole family group hasn't met them yet. But they have met them on WhatsApp. Mm. Wow, so by awesome. Friday, they're actually expecting to see them. They know who they are. They that's have cool. welcomed them. And that's the beginning of, you know, feeling welcomed. Also, one of the things is family. we make a clear distinction between those who are disciples of Jesus and those who are part of the broad community. Everyone is welcome to be a part of the broad community. But we also emphasize the fact that our community is organized in these family groups. And so that creates opportunities for people right away, first time they came out to church, to have a job. You know, I met you on Sunday. By Friday, you're going to bring salad. You're going to bring dessert. Hmm. Or uh, you're I, in charge of food completely. So that's it's really interesting to me. So that you, you can be, and I think this is different for most of us, that you can be part of the community without being a disciple of Jesus. That mm-hmm. all disciples of Jesus are part of the greater community, but I can be not a disciple and still contributing to the greater community that's interesting and and different i think for most people and and the truth is i think where we we really got a a hold of this was when we brought young people that had not gotten baptized with us to uh southeast asia to indonesia in particular and that we asked them about the difference in their experience having grown up in our church and not having gotten baptized the difference in experience here from their experience there they felt really accepted and really tied in there if you don't get baptized by around 15 or 16 in our church, there is a sense that you're with us, but not really. You're not mm. really. You, you, yeah. But this is your church. This is the church you've grown up in. And right. it really helped us to see how alienated mm-hmm. kids that grow up in our church that don't become disciples or grow up in our church, become disciples and walk away from our fellowship can feel. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to create an environment that mirrored the, 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 the environment that Jesus had. Jesus had a clear sense all throughout his ministry 
that whether you are part of the 12, a part of the 72, a part of the 120, you were welcome to touch Jesus. You were mm-hmm. welcome to be a part. You were engaged and connected. Uh, that we asked a few more specific questions, and it said, you know what? Somebody would ask me, hey, are you a disciple? And I'd say no, and they go, oh, okay. And then they just keep right on loving them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nothing changed from what? the beginning of that. <laughs> yeah, like they're yeah. like, oh, no, well, I come mean, hang out with this. Come hang out while we do this. Still come come to family group with us. Come to Bible talk with us. Still have the same spiritual conversations. Treat them like a normal human being. And we realized so we weren't different. that good at that. I'm kidding. But but it's just yeah. so it's it's so interesting and so true. It's 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 that okay, if you're gonna build a community, you gotta make everybody feel like they can be part of the community yes. without jumping through the hoops. It's yes. I want to be part of it. Okay, well come be part of it. Yes. And mm-hmm. a huge part of what we do is following Jesus, but you're still part and we will love you because that's what that's what you do as mm-hmm. a disciple. And so oh my goodness. Like and, and it means not I want to be clear. We don't water down the standard. Actually, we, we're very clear that the standard is what it is. And we're very explicit about what we teach, yes. we're, we're, what we think. And there's, a, there's no confusion as to whether you're a disciple or not. But there is a clear embrace <coughs> that you can be a part of our community. You can serve. You can, you can help. You can help build up this community um, even before you get baptized. Um, and... Uh, and that also, what we found, that also reinforces the fact that baptism itself is not a transactional thing, but baptism is about your relationship with God. It's not your passport to greater service. Right. You're called to serve wherever you are. Um, and right. uh, But that's something we had to teach, it, but it, it was an important practical, um, you know, for us to really embrace that view of things. Um, I think also a- another important practical was the fact that w- we all really do need to practice one another relationships. We need to be in discipling relationships. So mm. we, you know, we worked with our elders and our small group leaders uh, to make sure that we're, we're really working in partnership to make sure that every member in the congregation has a discipler um, that they can get with and that we try to foster an environment where there's real consistency. And we're constantly working on this, is making sure that there's consistency for discipling because the purpose of discipling is formation. It's not maintenance. It's formation. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really important thing because if your goal is that you would have a community of believers like the 120, then formation has to be the constant focus. Um, always being a learner has to be a big focus. Learners that become leaders uh, is a really important thing. And I think it really... Uh, creates an environment where people, whether they're introverts or extroverts, can be integrated into a community. But our key focus as a church is the strength and the functionality of the small group. Uh, the last thing I just want to really contribute in this regard um, is, as we were talking specifically with the Salims about our role as church leaders, and, and, and here I'm speaking to leaders that have responsibility for numbers of people, uh, you know, Harlem is very clear with me that I should always be a small group leader. And that, that was really a, uh, surprisingly, a, a paradigm shift for me because oftentimes when ministry leaders have ministries that are greater than 100, they can shift into all sorts of administrative roles and not be on the front line of 
leading a small group every week and being in active Bible studies and as well as doing their counseling appointments, as well as raising their families. Um, and, um, and so um, being a small group leader <clears throat> and being sure that my small group um, really is, is functioning is really key because then my focus is not um, simply on uh, you know, great Sunday service. My focus really is day in and day out, how can I lead a great functional family group? How can I help my fellow family group leaders to be um, really great leaders of family groups? Yeah, and usually whatever your family group is struggling with, the whole church is. Yeah, right. it's a really good, <laughs> a good, good marker. Um, and one of the things that we learned just in our own personal family group um, and for the whole church is that being connected throughout the week is so super important. That's yes. a part of the community. Um, and being connected doesn't have to look like how it used to look. Like we we don't have to meet every day. Right. <laughs> we don't have to, you know. But w- because we have these groups we can post what's happening, you know, within in our hearts, happening within our lives, ask for prayer requests, um, share good news with each other literally every day. <laughs> we can disciple each other through it. Like everything's just there, you know. So this yeah. community that you, um, let's say you're visiting, you know, all of a sudden you you know stuff. You know people sin. You know, <laughs> but what people are struggling. You know, you know what they you need. Prayer now. requests, like like oh, yeah, like, we're like community you, now. You are in, you know, and and you automatically feel like you can start sharing. And it's really interesting when they start sharing too. They're like, I need prayer requests, or I need this, or I'm really struggling with this, and can someone help me with this? And so that's been that's been really eye opening to see how huge the need is. And we underestimate how much encouragement disciples need. Mm. Just disciples. I mean, let alone people we're reaching out to. Mm. Disciples need so much encouragement. And they need to hear good news. They need it. They need to hear that somebody's struggling. They need to be able to help them out and encourage them. But they also just need, need to know that everybody else is being a disciple too. Like, even though I can't see you, you know, you're Mm. still, you're still in the fight with me, you know, so... And that was one of the things that really stood out. I'm thinking about our family group in particular. Um, you know, we have some really great people um, that have been coming out to our family group late, lately um, that are joining our community. Um, and one of the things that they've mentioned is that they've been able to go to lots of churches where there's dynamic worship, there's dynamic speaking, but the thing that they're missing is community. Like the the response on their face as we talk through we just have a Bible talk. We share meals together. We're having a D group, and they can be involved. Um, that that's, that just meets a real felt need because everyone has, as like the world over, research has shown that the number one core need that everyone has is a place for connection and a place for acceptance. If you create that place, you will attract people mm-hmm. uh, to you, and, and that really means that you'll build an attraction-based ministry that is relational. I do want to underscore, though, that's really hard because it means that you have to have the emotional capacity to not just work with people that you're used to working with, um, but really to extend yourself and spend yourself for a righteous cause. But it has been so rewarding, so refreshing. Um, Though we've been tired, we haven't been exhausted Mm -hmm. by this process. And I feel a constant sense of being renewed and really excited about going to our family group 
um, just because, you know, it's, we just, it's a place we can just let our hair down and just be family. So if I'm walking into, say, my house church, we had house church midweek last mm-hmm. night, mm-hmm. and I'm looking at my group, how would I, what, what would I be looking for in the group dynamics that could either signal that it's a strength that we're attractional? Sure. Or, or maybe we have to grow in that. What would I? What would you be looking for, and how could I know from my group so that I could start building it towards that? You know, I'm, I really appreciate you asking that question. I, I, I want to tell you a little story. Um, uh, one of the brothers here, Julio Arias, is a retired Marine uh, Corps drill instructor, and uh, he started a running club that I was a part of, and I went out to go run with the guys. And for the first time, I'll never forget it, I went out to run, and at the end of our first run, they all pulled me aside. And they said, Will, you're horrible at running. Like, <laughs> I don't know what that was. Um, it's true and um, they're like, okay. your form your is, form we've never is seen form like, like that. that. What was that? <laughs> your your <laughs> legs are flailing, your hands are everywhere. And, and they, they, like they a Muppet. literally, uh, literally, I think that's how I looked. And, um, and they said, and your shoes, you, you gotta, we got to get you new shoes. So literally, the, the whole group of guys took me to VA Runner and said, Will, our gift to you is to buy you shoes. I haven't had anybody buy me shoes since I was like oh, wow, yeah. 16 years old. And here I was, a guy in my late 30s, early 40s, with guys buying me shoes mm. and showing me how I should lace my shoes and how I should use my shoes. I use that analogy to say I needed that community to help me with my form. I think one of the key things with family groups is making sure that you have the right person in the right seat. Some people are great at building community. Some people are great at moving people in the Bible studies. Some people are great at making sure all the children are cared for if you have children in your group. Some people are great at making sure the food is great. I think the key for a functional group is that you have people in the right seat in the bus and that you focus on form. Mm. I would argue that if you really want to have a group that's great, I would step back and focus on is it functional? and be honest about whether it's functional or not. Maybe the group's too big. Maybe the group is stretched out across too big of a geographic area. Mm. Um, maybe there are relational dynamics that are causing real tension in the group. I would deal with those issues, focus on functionality. Mm. Um, I also want to be really clear. To be a great family group leader, you don't have to be a great Bible teacher. You don't have to be right. the most gregarious person. You don't have to be an extrovert. You have to be willing to make sure that everyone has a schedule for fun on a Friday, first Friday, and um, and that there really is a, a real commitment to um, us meeting for a family group two times a month and that we have a D group. You just need to be able to organize four gatherings with the help of other people. And you don't even need to lead the discussion all the time. You just need to make sure the discussion's done. So... The threshold to be a great leader is that you're willing and available um, and and that you're willing to mobilize other people so that everyone in the group is using their gifts and talents. So I hope that's helpful. Very helpful. So my question would be, so let's say we come to your small group meeting. Like, yeah. Can you take us... What would that look like? Just coming in the front door. Sure. What goes on? What happens next? Like, just kind of paint a picture for us. 
Well, we always try to welcome everyone as they come in. <laughs> Make sure that you're welcome. Oh, good start. Uh, you you know. should, like, should write that hello. down. Say hello. <laughs> hello say is hello. a good place. <laughs> yes. Hello. Um, These will be in your show notes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here you go. Exactly. Make sure. So, um, so, so, you know, welcoming people in. We normally eat first. We pray. We eat. I'm going to tell you kind of what a Bible discussion uh, sure. one of our family groups would be like. We pray. We eat. And then we usually have a 30 to 40 minute uh, guided discussion that's that's based on 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 a single scripture and and dynamic questions, um, and um, and we try to create an environment where everyone's voice is is valued and they're heard, and then we leave with a clear charge. And then there's usually lots of hanging out afterwards and having coffee um, or tea, um, you know. And uh, you know, so it it's really just the goal is hospitality. Um, with um, really a sermon in disguise, which is what a Bible talk is. It's mm. really a sermon in disguise that engages people. Well, mm-hmm. more like a discussion. Mm-hmm. A sermon in disguise that is a discussion. That is a discussion. <laughs> yes. And that, yes. And that move was strategic for you guys in terms of uh, your family group Fridays. Uh, right. So, so why, why that shift there? Yeah, again, totally stole this from, from, from Jakarta in particular, you know, we have our, our, our church spread out over a, a broad geography, much like Northern Virginia is. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we found that when people came to midweek services, they were exhausted. And I want to be clear. I'm not saying this is what you need to do. I'm just telling you this is what we, we are not saying that. Yeah. So but <laughs> but people came to midweek and they were exhausted and they didn't get much out of it. And the kids usually had a, a difficult day the day after. And so. Um, yeah. So what Harlem did for their church is he he asked them what what's most important for us to keep and what do we need? What's least important right. for us to keep? And what he found in his congregation is people actually said, yeah, midweek doesn't do it for me, you know, <laughs> and, and here are all the reasons why midweek doesn't do it for me. So if we had to get rid of something, that would be the thing to get rid of. So he told us this and it scared us to death. We were like, there's no way we're getting rid of midweek. Right. It's a staple. Right. You know, so there is. It's biblical. Exactly. Well, it is. It is. But, but what we did do is we asked them, midweek you know, we asked the same <laughs> questions, you know, what what's important for you to keep and what do you feel like, you know, you would get rid of if you could, you know. Yeah. And of course, midweek was that thing. And they gave us the reasons why. And it, it really did have a lot to do with the fact that they just didn't feel like they could give their heart to it because they were so exhausted. Mm-hmm. They were always late, you know, because they had to be, you know. <laughs> and they were they were always stuck in traffic. They were always, it was just hard for them to be giving and actually want to be there. And it's weird because it's they want, they were excited to be together in general, you know, and they were happy about that part. But it was just hard to be there and actually learn. And really important point here on this. So we didn't make an abrupt decision to make that change. We actually discussed this with the church over a year and a half period. We went through like a six-month countdown to transitioning from midweeks to family groups, made sure everybody was in a family group that we could actually just launch that approach. Uh, and then we celebrated the end and then the, the new beginning of transitioning to, to Friday nights being our primary time. Um, and then uh, Tasha and I are able to provide a Bible discussion for the family group leaders. So we provide guidance for the family group leaders for the family group discussions. And we also provide guidance for how to conduct a great D group. And we're going through a process right now of training our family group leaders to be prepared 
to consistently take on more responsibility. But it allowed us to decentralize our meetings and to localize our meetings and to localize our focus on, on the local community. And um, as the leader, it's very important that you keep a pulse on all the family groups since you don't have midweek. So we've taken a few weeks throughout the year on a consistent basis to just go and visit each family group to see what it's actually like and not take somebody's word for it. And, and also we've employed having other teaching times and we, we, we do other teaching times that work in line with the schedule. And we also just recently did another survey to ask them how has the transition been? So we're constantly having a communication loop. Uh, there's, if there's one theme you kind of see throughout what we're sharing, is there has to be much more engagement between uh, the, the, the leaders and the people that they're leading so that we can have a very flat leadership structure and mobilize more people and deploy them for greater service. Awesome. Fantastic. Uh, thanks so much again to the Archers for talking us through nuts and bolts of how to build community. Thank you.